Hi, this is Justin. Today on Theocast, we are going to encourage you to stop trying to make sense of suffering. And we're not just trying to be punchy. The reality is in the church today, we don't do ourselves a favor in trying to read through the lines of God's providence and trying to read the tea leaves and figure out exactly what God is up to in all of the hard things that we endure in this life. Let's be real. There's a lot of times that we go through stuff where there's just no earthly good at all in sight and platitudes and the way that we rip scripture out of context doesn't help. So we're going to consider today things that are absolutely clear and true about God as he's revealed himself in his word. And we're going to think about the promises that the Lord has made to us through Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us. We do have an eternal hope that's unshakable, and this is what we cling to. So that's the subject matter for today. John and I over in SR will continue that conversation. It's just a little bit more fun, a little bit punchier over there. We sincerely hope that you're encouraged by this as you continue to sojourn in this fallen world. Stay tuned. A simple and easy way for you to help support Theocast each month is by shopping at Amazon through the Amazon Smile program. When you make a purchase through Amazon Smile, a portion of the proceeds will be donated to our ministry. To learn how to sign up, just go to theocast.org slash give. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed, confessional, and pastoral perspective. Your hosts today are John Moffat, who is pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and I'm Justin Verdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. John, always good to be around the mic with you, bro. Good to talk before we record, and as we've been chopping it up over what we're going to discuss today on the show, this is definitely a very pastoral kind of conversation that we hope to have. Hmm. Amen. It is. Uh, it's de- directly connected to some sermons I've been preaching, conversations Justin and I have. And when uh, when you look at just suffering in the world in general, you know, today's title was, we understand it's a little punchy, but there's, there's, a, there's a direct connection behind it and why it's so yeah. important. Is that in many ways, the Bible itself takes our hand and puts it over our mouth and says, you probably need to be quiet here uh, in trying to ask God or, or uh, even trying to figure out what God is doing. So that's really what this conversation is about, is trying to have a very clear and biblical understanding of suffering and the Christian. And something you said, Justin, that I'm going to go ahead and grab now, uh, the Bible offers us a perspective that is heavenly, otherly, it is mm-hmm. a new heavens and a new earth, but yet we live earthbound. It's like mm-hmm. uh, we cannot move past this, what we see in front of us. The treasures here seem more real and beneficial than the treasures that have been offered to us in our father's home. And yet we would rather stay in this world and have these treasures and let us build a world here. And yet the Bible is constantly calling us to take our home and our hope and put it in a whole nother location, which is with the Father. So we're going to talk about how those two dynamics, or I would say two kingdoms, how those two dynamics are often at war with each other. Mm-hmm. And really, the confusion that happens in modern-day Christianity where we look at the suffering in our life and we're trying to find the pain point to remove it. If yeah. only this, that, that then this will get better. That's right. Yeah, And I call it the if-then. If I can do this, then 
I will be satisfied because this pain will be removed. And sometimes we even think about like past events, something that happened that can't be reversed. It's no longer, you're no longer suffering currently from that pain, but you want to know why it happened. And so Mm -hmm. that's gnawing at you. Like what, because if you can figure out why it happened, then you can prevent it from happening again. Right. And uh, so all of these we struggle with constantly the the potential for suffering, the current suffering we're in, and what has caused it in the past, and we we want to know why. And unfortunately, uh, that there's there's going to be a very complicated situation we're going to find ourselves in. But we're not without hope. So let's start with uh, the bad parts, Justin. Kind of the ways in which people have handled this in the past, not so helpful and clearly not so biblical. Like you said, we always want to do that if then thing, if this then that. It's how we tend to think. Mm -hmm. And in some ways that's understandable because we are taught rightly in this world responsibility and consequences of our actions. All of those things are true in the common kingdom. They're true in the world that God has made. And at the same time, the Bible's clear that we can't always draw those straight lines from this to that. We can't always draw lines from sin to suffering or circumstance to suffering or action to suffering, though we always want to do it that way. And I do agree. I just want to double down on this. As a pastor, I feel like I have this conversation all the time that we're always trying to figure out what God is up to. We're always trying to read between the lines of his providence. We're trying to read the tea leaves of what's happening in our lives and figure out what God's trying to teach us. Or we're trying to glean things from things that we've gone through so that that same thing doesn't happen again. Some of those things up to a point are okay. Some of them, like trying to figure out what God is up to, is just a fool's errand. Uh, we are incredibly presumptuous in how we go about doing this sometimes, and we're most certainly going to get it wrong uh, because God is up to millions of things in the world. He's up to so many things in our lives individually, and we just see so few of them. So uh, we have to acknowledge our limited perspective. So that's kind of teeing up the ways this is often done poorly. People draw inaccurate conclusions, and they even misrepresent God, I think, mm-hmm. sometimes in the ways that suffering is talked about. Because we do struggle so much to make sense of the pain we experience. And I just want to say this really quickly, that when we experience pain and suffering, it should, in some senses, affect us and wreck us because it's a reminder constantly that things are not as they should be. You know, this world has fallen. The Apostle Paul uses the language of how the creation was subjected to futility and how it now groans. Hmm. And we groan too. And so a lot of times, John, the stuff I hear and the stuff we're going to point out right now, uh, either, you know, people do things with God, they'll, they'll either act like he's not sovereign, you know, so he, they kind of try to get him off the hook. Yeah. Or maybe on the flip side, it's like, well, you know, he's clearly sovereign, but then the question is raised, well, then how's he good? Yeah. You know, because we sort of misrepresent his sovereignty and, and God comes across malevolent as though he means us harm. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I see commonly, and you could maybe riff on this too, I'm just going to hand it back over to you in a second, is people act as though if we rightly apply the scriptures, if we really, you know, take Proverbs, for example, take other passages, you know, that that contain wisdom and instruction. If we just take these things to heart, if we apply them, if we meditate on them sufficiently and uh, put them to good use, then perhaps our lives will just go well, mm. right? And in my response to that is, well, it depends on what you mean by well. 
you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot that can be gleaned from Proverbs or any other section of scripture that deals with wisdom and practical things. God teaches us with his law what's good and bad and right and wrong. You know, it's better to conform yourself to God's law. It will go better for you. All that's true. But if you think that applying God's word rightly will deliver you from suffering, you're misguided. Mm. If, if you think it will deliver you from weakness, you're misguided. If you think it means that things will never fall apart in your life, you're misguided, mm. you know? And uh, if we think that we can be delivered from suffering altogether, or at least mitigate it greatly if we rightly apply God's word, I think we have misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Because this Christian life is not one where we are moving from triumph to triumph. We've said this lately. And from just high to high, we're learning actually to trust Christ in the midst of weakness and pain and suffering. Mm. We will suffer now and glory's coming. We're going to get there later. Uh, but so much of what we're given in the scripture is God, who he is, his plan of redemption, and what he's promised us in his son that's unshakable anyway. Yeah. Well, there's two areas that we're blinded to in this <clears throat> current fallen world. We're, we're blinded to our own sin, our own problem. Yeah. Uh, this is why the light of the gospel has to come in and show yeah. our hearts to be, you know, just full of nothing but, but but putrefied sin. And we need Christ to come in and redeem us. The second error we fall into is that we can we can assume this world is not that bad. And so, you know, we just it just needs needs a little fine tuning, a little correction. And, you know, uh, Louis Armstrong, right? What a wonderful world. <laughs> that's right. And trees uh, of green, clouds of white, right? Right. And there's nothing. And there's some far- truth in that. There's right. some truth in that, but go. Well, there's, if it, if it's so great, then why is it being made new? Right. Why is it, why are we starting over? Right. And it's like, you know, you, we live in a world where our loved ones die. We bury our children. That's right. Only an insane person would look around and say that everything's as it should be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where death exists, everything is not as it should be. Because what is the promise of the new heavens and the new earth? No more death, no more more suffering, no more more suffering, no more sorrow, no more evil. Mm -hmm. So when you look around and it's like, that's not that bad. And I go, the thing that makes it bad is the thing that we're ignoring, which is death and suffering and pain and sorrow. We, we, we medicate ourselves and we, 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 uh, we kind of distract ourselves with these things. But um, a little bit going back to probably one of the most famous books on suffering in in the Bible, which is Job. Uh, James uses Job in a very interesting way. So James is writing to uh, churches that are suffering. And what's interesting about it is he never offers them relief from suffering. Uh, we'll get to what he does offer them. But in the beginning, he's like, well, actually, you can you can embrace your suffering with joy because there's something behind it. Uh, which is interesting is that he doesn't... Uh, he doesn't offer them a logical explanation for the suffering. He only he only explains to them how to handle it, which is which is fascinating. And then within James five, he's coming down to the end. The first uh, six verses in James is talking about how the wealthy are absolutely brutalizing the churches, and James offers them this response: "Be patient, for the return of the Lord is nigh." Amen. And then he uses yeah. Ex- yeah he uses as examples two groups of people. The first one he says is he uses the prophets. He goes, look to the prophets and how they endured suffering. And you have uh, the writer of Hebrews describes the suffering uh, of these prophets. And he's, it's a Hebrews eleven thirty six. 36. It says, uh, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn mm-hmm. in two. They were killed with swords. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the whole world was not worthy 
wandering about in the deserts and mountains. And in, I mean, he just keeps, it's like it's this endless describing of what happened. And James uses that as an illustration. Mm-hmm. He says, you look to them for the purposes of suffering. And then he says the same thing about Job, which is interesting to use Job, because I don't know if I would describe Job as being a patient person in the midst of suffering. He started out well. James 1 says in in, in all these things, he didn't sin. And then you, yeah. just, you keep reading. You keep reading. But what's interesting about the dialogue between the accuser, the Satan, Satan, and uh, God is that there's this dialogue and basically Satan says, the only reason Job loves you is because you bless him. So you blessed him. And, you know, th- and this is Proverbs 10, 22, because Proverbs 10, 22 says the blessings of the Lord make rich and he adds no sorrow within it. So the accusation came, it's like, well, you remove these blessings and Job is going to curse you and he's going to turn on you. And uh, so that's, you know, the whole point of this is he keeps adding suffering, keeps adding suffering. And towards the very end, you do see that Job finally kind of says, all right, God, you, you need to give me a little bit of an explanation mm-hmm. of why are you allowing the suffering? And what's interesting is that there's nothing within the dialogue that we would conclude that Job knows about this conversation between Satan and God. There's, we just don't know about it. And and as Job's fact, not privy to that, just as we're not. Yeah, it would, you know, we don't, actually don't really know who wrote Job. Maybe it was Job. Who knows? Well, I just Go mean ahead. we're not privy to like the the secret decreed will of God. We're not privy to the counsel of God. You right, know, just and as you Job see that in the right. story. Correct. You see that God actually never right. says, well, this was a conversation. That, that whole Satan. pulling back the curtain thing, Job doesn't see that. No. That's the no. inspired author giving us the the behind the curtain look at what's going on from God's perspective. Right. And in the midst yeah. of his suffering, Job yeah. says some really, you know, interesting things. You know, Job yeah. ten eighteen. why did you bring me forth out of my womb? Would that I had died before my eyes had well, seen he, you. The, the, I'm just going to comment on this really quick because sure. I think this is great. I, Job, like you said, he starts off really well. Uh, you know, he, he bears up underneath mm-hmm. the things that happen to him. He'll even say that, you know, the Lord gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His wife curses him for it. So, I mean, he starts off well, but then... Oftentimes we skip from Job 2 to Job 38, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. like when people think of the book, they know the first two chapters and they know 38 to the end. And it's like there are dozens, literally dozens of chapters in between of wrestling. That's a very mixed bag. Right. Of Job saying some things that are very true and Job saying some things that are just not. Mm-hmm. And I think we can identify with both. And I think we can see in Job ourselves to some extent and like you said, I mean, the man spends the chapter after chapter two, chapter three is an entire chapter of Job literally lamenting and cursing the day he was born. Yeah. You know, like, I wish I'd never been born. That's right. But, you know, and then he goes on to say in various other places that, you know, his bones waste away, that when he tries to find rest on his couch, God doesn't even let him sleep. You know, like there's just no escape for him. <laughs> right. And, and, and I know then, we're going to get to Job 19 in a second. Yeah. But then, so I'm gonna hold off. Right, on that. we'll we'll save that for the latter part. Yeah. But then you have Job's friends who show up, and it's a it's a perfect explanation of what Christianity does today. Yeah. Job's friends show up, and at first, you know, they sit there and they mourn with him. But this is true of all humans. We don't like suffering, and we, you know, before long, they're thinking, you know, Job, we need to like figure out why you're suffering here. We got to get underneath kind of tired it. Of sitting here, we got to get underneath it. We got to explain it, yeah. and then they they do this. If this, then that thing. <laughs> That's exactly right. Right. You know, Job gets so frustrated with them and says, you know, you guys would appear wise if you just closed your mouth. Yeah. 
It's like, if you stop talking, you would actually appear to be wise. And they did this very thing where they're trying to say, okay, Job, you need to repent because this is why mm-hmm. this is happening. In Clearly there's sin in your life, dude. That's right. So we, <laughs> right? we finally get to the end of the book and Job's like, all right, I demand of you to tell me, to give me He's an answer. This to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this is God's response. You know, Job 38, four, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Tell me if you have understanding who determined this measure. Surely, you know, yeah. uh, that is such a sarcastic oh, statement. It's huge. It's yeah, like huge. Job, sarcastic. do you know how big the world right. is? I can yeah. tell you. Do you? Sure. Yeah, surely you know. Where were you when I hung the stars? I mean, surely right. you understand these things. You know? He's like, when I closed in the sea and told it where the exactly. waves were going to go. Come this far and no further, all that. That's right. Yeah. And the point of that is, is that at, what's interesting is that God never answers Job's question with what you think he would want. The point of it was, I'm in charge, Job. I, I know what's going on from beginning to end. I control all things. And Amen. basically at the end, Job goes, oh, man. What did I do? Well, I should, I should and, never run my mouth. And it's not, it's not as though God is being mean to Job. I mean, mm-hmm. effectively, I know you agree. Effectively, what he's saying rhetorically, there is like it's dripping with this sarcasm. And uh, like, surely you understand these things, Job. If you're going to put me in the dock, surely mm-hmm. you understand this. Uh, and, you know, are, are you going to counsel me kind of thing? <laughs> but then, effectively, the way it all comes across is it's as though God looks at Job. And says, child, you don't understand. That's right. Right. I, I am the Lord and you don't understand. Mm-hmm. And Job agrees with God. And he says, I, I, I do repent because I thought I knew you. I That's thought right. I understood. And I don't. And you, <laughs> you are the Lord. You are God. And I'm not. You know, yeah. it's a really, really gripping thing that occurs. I mean, so let's briefly do this, John. Well, can we, we make one last conclusion ahead. here? Yeah, and then yeah. I'll turn it over to you. So yeah. James is using that as an illustration. He says this in this way, James 5, 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Mm-hmm. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know, what's interesting is that that compassionate and merciful part, mm-hmm. that's God's response to Job. Mm-hmm. Hey, Job. Let me explain to you who I am. And in the end, Job goes, and what does the steadfastness mean? He means that at the end of God's explanation, Job goes, I still trust you. Yeah. I still trust you. Yeah. Not, he didn't go from point A to point B without any problems. Right. I mean, the guy was a roller coaster, right? Sure. 10, 19, 30. It's just well, like that's what I'm way saying. Like, people go from chapter two to chapter 38. And between that, there's dozens of chapters of wrestling, right? That's and, right. And we just tend to skip over that. And there's a lot that can be learned, gleaned about us and about the Lord and about the way that we tend to process and handle suffering. We all tend to be like Job's friends. We don't do a good job of just sitting with people in the midst of pain mm-hmm. and saying, okay, like we can't draw straight lines here. We can't do the if this, then that thing. We can't say one-to-one correlation things, but we know who God is. We know what he's promised, and we're going to sit, and we're going to mm-hmm. trust. We don't do well with that. And I'm just going to go ahead and do this now, before we maybe go back and, and talk about some things that are very clear about God from the scriptures. Um, we've already talked about Job. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is a great study on a lot of these things because the preacher, you know, Solomon in Ecclesiastes, says a lot of things that really unsettle us as modern Christians, I think. It's like, bro, you shouldn't talk like that. you know. And he's yeah. like, but, but hey, I'm just describing the way the world is. This stuff happens. So what do you got? 
Mm-hmm. You know, and we could talk about how he even concludes that book. You know, here's what's good for man. I mean, enjoy what you can in this world, but ultimately fear God and keep his commandments. I mean, mm-hmm. that's where he lands, right? Yeah. Um, that maybe is another another conversation for another time. But I'm just gonna go ahead and do this too, to to rend the foolishness from our hands of trying to draw straight lines from specific sins or specific actions to specific suffering and pain. We need to take great pains not to do that. We've mm-hmm. already talked about Job because Job is, is adamant, no, I've not done something to bring this on myself. And God actually defends Job at the end of it all. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that Job's friends had spoken wrongly, right? That's right. So even though Job wrestled in, in, and I would say was inaccurate in how he processed some of his suffering and said some untrue things, it was not because of sin in Job's life that he suffered in the first place. That's right. right? Again, because we get that behind the curtain glimpse on what the Lord is doing. Mm-hmm. Well, similar things could be said about the words of Jesus. Luke 13, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus looks at a Jewish audience and says, you know, the Galileans who were slaughtered by Pilate. Do you think that they were any worse than you? Because mm-hmm. our, what do we think, John? The law economy, That's right. Job's friends, like we, we would say, well, yeah, those people, they got what was coming to them. They clearly had something going on in their lives. They deserved it. Mm-hmm. All right. Then Jesus, same passage, Luke 13, early verses. He says, what about the 18 people on whom the tower in Siloam fell and it killed them? Do you think that they were any worse than you? And his answer in both cases is no. And unless you repent, you too will likewise perish. He's pointing <laughs> it to a spiritual eternal reality, yeah. right? Like you deserve judgment. Right. And so don't delude yourself into who and what you are, but don't draw straight lines from, well, that happened. So that must mean this about that person's character. Yeah. You know, I mean, the the wrestling of the Old Testament, we know this. Why do the wicked prosper? God's people say that that with California and earthquakes. Oh, brother. Well, they deserve that. That's right. You know, (laughs) because it's just God's judgment. (laughs) All right. Then, all right. John 9. Yeah. The man born blind. Man born blind. Yep. How do the disciples think about it? They see this man by the roadside who's blind and they look at Jesus and just immediately, all right, who sinned? Was it him? Was it his parents that he was born this way? And Jesus says, neither actually. That's right. You know, it's, it's so that he's, he was born this way so that the purposes of God might be displayed through him. That's like, right. Oh, there's things going on behind and underneath this stuff. Again, secret decreed will of God that we don't know. Hmm. And we shouldn't presume to figure out. That's right. right. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that have been revealed belong to us and our children. We mm-hmm. should concern ourselves with what God has revealed to us in his word mm-hmm. and quit trying to figure out the things that belong only to him. If you're new to Theocast, we have a free ebook available for you called Faith versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And if you've struggled with legalism, a lack of assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone, We wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a Reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org slash primer. Well, what I find so comforting from Job and I find comforting from James is that it doesn't ignore the suffering as if it's not there. No. Or it says, you know, toughen up or just deal with it. Um, What's interesting is that it, it deals with it in a different way. Like James says it this way, he says, count it all joy when you go into mm-hmm. suffering. Mm-hmm. Why would he, why would he say that? I mean, it's such a weird thing to say, Yeah. but the reason why he says it is that like suffering is inevitable. We know that 
I mean, Paul literally says we we groan in these bodies of tent, these tents. And suffering in and of itself is bad. Right. It's but not yeah, good. So how can James say what he said? Because he's talking about the preservation of the power of God in your life. Amen. Literally in James 5, as he's coming down to the end of his letter, he's uh, he says, you know, don't grumble because of what's going on in, in these circumstances. And he, and he gives a response to it. And he says, you be patient. And this is, this is how you're to be patient. This is 5.8. He says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That's an illustration meaning that God's return is as close as your hand is right in front of you. Like it's at hand. It's right there. Yeah. And so he says, establish your heart. Well, think about what is our heart? Our hearts tend to latch onto things that we love and things that we hope in and that we long for. And so he's saying, establish what you long for and you hope in and what you trust in, in the return of God, meaning that's where relief is found. He never offers relief here. He never offers hope here. And then he goes, now as, as examples, and this is where, Justin, this this is this, this section is so helpful for me. So remember when I read you that a section in Hebrews where it talks about all of the things that they mm-hmm. suffered? Yeah, Hebrews it, 11. Right. So in chapter 13, this is so good. He writes this, Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. So he's talking about the prophets again. And he says, consider the outcome of their way of life. Now, what's interesting there is that I do believe he's talking about how they suffered death. And then he says this, and imitate their faith, which is interesting to me, right? So he's saying, this is how they suffered. And how did they endure the suffering? He says their faith. And you know what he says right after that? For they longed for a country that was not their own, not yeah. this one. So James is doing the same thing. He's he's going back to chapter, uh, in chapter five, he's saying, look at the prophets, look at Job. They were patiently waiting for the coming of the Lord. And what motivated that? Where did they establish their heart? He says, for the Lord is compassionate and mm-hmm. merciful. Mm-hmm. Well, there is, there is so much that's impact there is that, okay, we're not called to make sense of the suffering, but we are not left to suffer senselessly, meaning that God is proving his compassion and his mercy by in the midst of our, this, this, I'm going to drop this here, right here. When you suffer, the point is you will never suffer to the point that God will abandon you mm-hmm. ever. He mm-hmm. is going to preserve you no matter what it is that you go through. And part of the suffering is designed. It, it, it's He's using it as a means to pro- proclaim the gospel. In other words, you are suffering because you're a child of God. And that's a part of what we experience here in this world is that we our eyes have been opened to the pain and sorrow that is around us. Yeah, he's producing good things in us. That's, that's right. true. I mean, even in terms of a James idea, you know, he's, He's working steadfastness in us. And steadfastness, as we've said, I think a number of times in the last six months, Mm -hmm. is all about us, theology of the cross kind of stuff. That's right. Learning to trust Christ regardless in the midst of trying circumstance, to depend more and more upon God's grace to sustain in the midst of pain. Mm -hmm. That's what steadfastness looks like, right, in the lives of the saints. This is a, a Romans 5 reality, too, where Paul will talk about how you know, we have been justified and therefore we have peace with God. And so we now boast in, we hope in the glory of God, right? Mm. And we rejoice, we boast in hope of the glory of God. That's Romans 5, 2. But then he says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Mm. 
knowing that these things, you know, suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, character, hope. Hope doesn't put us to shame. Why? Because God's love, that means God's love for us has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So this is the work of the Lord to do good in the lives of his people through these things. And whenever we read the apostles like this, though, we ought not, we've, we've said this before, I just want to make this really clear again, we ought not rejoice in trial and suffering because trial and suffering are good. We rejoice mm-hmm. in the midst of trial and suffering because God is good and because right. God is faithful, because he's merciful and because he's a redeemer. And even, I think it's obvious, I mean, even in Paul, like right, 2 Corinthians 4, Romans 8, when he'll talk about light and momentary afflictions or when he'll talk about how you know, the things that we're going through now are not worth comparing to the weight of glory that's coming. That's, that's a right. statement about how great the glory is that's coming. It's not that's a statement right. about how light the trials are. Because sometimes it's like the trials are really hard. And Paul, even Second Corinthians 1, will say they experienced things in Asia that caused them to despair of life itself. That's right. So clearly he doesn't mean that these things are easy. But what he's pointing us to is an eternal hope. And I know we're going to get there in a minute. Right. I'll happily like lead us into this piece. I want to go ahead and give people like a little chalking of the field. Here are some things that we can say with certainty. Mm-hmm. Stop trying to read through the lines of providence. Stop trying to read the tea leaves. Stop trying to figure out everything God's up to. But you can know these things about him. Go. You, were you going to say yeah, something? Yeah, no, Sorry, you said no. what I was about to say is that what's interesting is that James says, establish your heart in the future, right? What is to come? He does not totally. say try to figure out, because we're trying to find closure. We want to know why this happened. Well, yeah. God doesn't tell you why it happened other than sin came into the world and sin destroyed the world. And that's all we know. Right. And I mean, I'll say this now too. I mean, cause I think I want to land us on all just sweet eternal promises. I know you do too. Mm-hmm. We need to stop using verses uh, as platitudes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Romans eight twenty eight. you slap it on the refrigerator. God works all things for good. And we think that we've solved the problem of pain. It's like, no, a, a lot of times we will say to people, I mean, Maybe we don't literally say, though sometimes I fear we do literally say, mm-hmm. like in, in the midst of heartbreak and pain, we'll say, you know, well, God's going to work it for good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, John, at a minimum, I'll say it this way in a safe way. At a minimum, the primary emphasis of the apostle in those verses is an eternal, like eschatological reality. Not a temporal one. I would say like I 99.9%. Think yeah, I would say all. Right? I'm just trying to, I'm just, it's obvious. I mean, the context now, of Romans 8, 18. Good, sure. right. The temporal good no, is only the James hope. James 1. Right. The hope right, to come. Right. right. He, what God's, you know, Romans 5, like what right. God's producing in us through these things, that's good temporally. Amen. Right. But ultimately Romans 8, that context from verse 18 and following, that's all about, you know, the creation's groaning, all of this. and the creation is waiting to be liberated. Mm-hmm. And as you know, it, it's awaiting the revealing of the glory of the sons of God. I mean, as we await the consummation of our redemption, which is the resurrection of our bodies. I mean, so this mm-hmm. is clearly an eternal forward looking yeah. thing. Right. And so then we all of a sudden just forget that, I guess, when we read Romans eight twenty eight, and we'll just look at each other. Well, God's going to work it for good. And it's like, no, I, he has ultimately in Christ. Amen. He has promised us an unshakable kingdom. He has told us that we have a heavenly country that we're going to be citizens of. We're going to live with him one day and we're going to be delivered from pain. Like we're going to be ripped from the grave and we're going to be raised incorruptible and imperishable. All that's coming. Yeah. Right. So he has worked all things together for our good, but that does not mean that I'm going to see earthly good in things that I go through. You know. Right. Well, and this this just goes back to when Paul says, in reference to suffering, he says, "I can do all things yeah. through Christ." Because what he means is, I can do, I can endure this. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll make it through to the end. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He doesn't mean as we often flip that as some, you know, however you want to use it. The point of it is there's nothing in this world that will yeah. rip me from the hope I have from Christ. And that's the promise of the gospel because though he loses none, right? He Amen. uses he uses the, um, that which is horrible, which is the trial. God says, don't worry, it's a good thing because I'm going to prove to you that there's nothing that's going to separate you from me. Nothing. Amen. Nothing will separate you. That's right. Nothing. And and God's promised us that one day, you know, we'll be with him and he's going to wipe away every tear, you know, and it, and all really will be made new and well. Um, and so we know that that's what's coming. All right. So I want to do this, John. I want to briefly talk about a few things. God being in control, good, merciful. Let's just hit that really quick. We know these things are true. And then maybe we can land the plane with a little Job 19 Yeah. in terms of what, what awaits us, right? That's right. So sorry for that pastor thing, kind of given the outline, but we're just going to do this. <laughs> so in thinking about the fact that God is in control, some things popcorn around in my brain, you know, Psalm 115, three, our God is in the heavens. He does everything he pleases. And by everything, I trust he means everything. He's not bound by anything outside of himself. He's not like Mm -hmm. us. He's not controlled by things outside of him, right? Isaiah 46, eight through 11, I am God, there is no other. I'm God, there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I'll accomplish all my purpose. It's obvious that he's in control. From before the foundations of the world, he's had a plan and he's bringing it to fruition. The emphasis of the scripture is not just that God knows the future. That's right. right? The emphasis of the scripture is that he's planned the future. Mm-hmm. And that makes the world of difference. That's right. Yeah. Well, this is Nebuchadnezzar, right? After he sure. got humiliated. Daniel 4. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking that he's the most powerful being on the planet. He gets humi- humiliated by God. And, mm-hmm. and Nebuchadnezzar then says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he mm-hmm. does according to his mm-hmm. will among the heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And I Amen. think there's, that's an important reality for us to embrace that God is absolutely in control. And, and I know yeah. we say that and I know we want to believe it, but there are times we question it because we look at things and go, I'm not sure who's in control right now. Cause this is insane. Yeah. And I mean, what we're doing there is, a, is questioning. It's like, okay, if he is in control, is he good then? I mean, based upon what yes. I'm looking at. Right. So then so we say, okay, do we fully understand this? No, but we're going to talk about what God has revealed, right? The things that are revealed belong to us. And the first time that he really describes his character in the scriptures in Exodus 34, how does he describe himself? That's right. He says, I'm a God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I show steadfast love to thousands of generations. Mm-hmm. I forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin, right? That's right? And then he says, I will by no means clear the guilty. So he's upright. That's like right. he's not okay with evil. He's and that's good. a good thing, by the way. Like if he were correct, because a lot of times I think we, because we're sinners and because the law condemns us, we don't necessarily see God's righteousness and the fact that he will not tolerate or dwell with evil as a good thing mm-hmm. all the time because it feels scary. But the fact that he's like that is good news because if he was the, if he was an all sovereign deity who was cool with evil, that would be frightening. That's terrifying, but he's not because he's completely good. If you accept something and are comfortable with it, that says something about your character. Exactly. Well put. And God says, I hold back my anger and he creates distance between creation and himself. Because what is the greatest promise? I mean, I'm sorry. I just got to go there now. What's the greatest promise that we have? This is Job 19, right? 
for I know that my Redeemer lives, mm -hmm. and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed yet in my flesh, I shall see God. Amen. That is the promise that the separation that happened in the garden between mm -hmm. humanity and God is going to be restored, and we're going to be in his presence. Well, all right, so you've already led us to the final piece. I mean, the things we can know. God's in control. God's good. But then even more specifically in his goodness, he's merciful, but he's a redeemer. That's right. right. Like this is who God is. So, I mean, you think of Ephesians one and two, I mean, we're going to, I'm going to go back to Job 19 in a second. Cause it's so, it's just fire. It's good. <laughs> um, but Ephesians one and two, like the plan of God from before the foundations of the world, how he was going to save us in Christ, you know, and, and how he's given us every spiritual blessing and he's going to bring this through to completion. I mean, it's obvious. And then if <clears throat> Ephesians two, you know, how here's what we were, but here's what God's done in making us alive together with Christ because of the riches of his love and because of the greatness of his mercy, this is why he's done this. Because who he is, he's a savior. You know, So it's like when we're questioning things that we don't understand, we see no earthly good in what we're going through, we can say these things, not as platitudes, not as things that will just make us feel better, but as something much more eternally significant that we can just kind of hold each other and weep together as we trust our God and Father because he's in control. It hadn't gone off the rails from his perspective because he's good and because he's our redeemer. We That's can trust right. him. Right? Well, and, and there are times when, when someone comes up to offer you an explanation, you have to ask about their credentials. You know, like what, what gives you the credence that I need to stop and listen and say, okay, what you have to say matters. Yeah, <clears throat> because sometimes people offer me explanations, and I'm like, "Yeah, but what are your credentials? Like, why why should I even concern myself?" Did you stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night? Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. God comes up and says, "Well, you know, I created everything, I sustained everything, I know yeah. everything, and I can do whatever I want." So here's my answer. You can, you mm -hmm. have to stop and go. Yeah, okay. I think I'm going to go ahead and accept whatever his answer is because no one else has more knowledge and power right. than 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 he does, and. And, and, and it's hard because our human hearts sometimes are not okay with the, the way of God. No, and we struggle. We should be terrified by that statement. Like, wait a minute, who are you to question God? This is why I love when Daniel or in Nebuchadnezzar says, no one can stop him. No one yeah. stops his hand. No one can stay his hand That's or right. question and ask him, what have you done? You know, you're does right. The, I mean, does the clay yeah. question say, say this the, to potter? the potter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you're entirely right. And we could do an entire episode on this reality that these things that we're talking about right now, that when God does get in the stand and mm -hmm. bear testimony like he does with Job and he does mm -hmm. other places, we don't like what he has to say. That's right. We'll hear him and we're like, okay, yeah, but that's not enough. Like that doesn't, that doesn't satisfy me or even worse, like what you're saying, I just don't like, That's right. you know, I don't want it to be this way. And such is the problem. I mean, that's what sin has done to us. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we are at enmity with God and the fact that he is these things, it just doesn't sit well with fallen well, it, people. You even look at like just Abraham as an example. Yeah. Right. God comes to Abraham with the credentials of I'm God mm -hmm. and tells Abraham what he's going to do. And, you know, Abraham, <laughs> you know, we love the guy. He's, he's, he's such a great encouragement well, to us. That he's the model held up as, right. you know, being justified by faith. I'm like, amen. But he's struggling. And, and, and the point of it is, is that, we have so many examples in the, in the Old and New Testament 
of those who have interactions with the Father, mm-hmm. and that our hearts get in the way. Our sure. fleshly, sure. sinful hearts get in the way of the promises of God. So the point of it is, is if you're sitting over here and you're wrestling with this and you're struggling and you're not quite sure, you know, why these things are happening and it gnaws at you, mm-hmm. and I just think that the, the instructions from James are so helpful. He says, ground your heart in the coming of the Lord. Like, Amen. look past all of this. Don't try and make sense of it today because one day you will see and know because you will stand, as Job says, I will see him Amen. in the flesh with my yeah. own eyes. I will see God. Because you can't see him now, you'll die. Right. But when right. you are redeemed and you have a new, you know, the angels, they cover them, they cover their faces. They, they don't even mm-hmm. look upon the Lord and see. But one day we will. Amen. And there's a, there's a, a great staggering thought. It is. And it's a great hope to go. Not only is that here, I'm sorry, not only is that going to happen, but the writers of the New Testament says, live every day as if it's going to happen today because mm-hmm. it's at hand. It's about to. And he says, yeah. establish yourself in that. And that will get you through the suffering. May God give us grace for that. Amen. Yeah. Like I'm not huge on apologetics, John, and I'm going to kind of conclude us with this thought. I, mm-hmm. I'm not huge on apologetics, but I do think this is compelling. Nobody has the answer. Mm. Us, nobody has a satisfactory answer for suffering and pain in the world. Yeah. They have no answers. One. They're just not satisfactory. I don't, I don't care what, I don't care what religion, what world or biblical, be. it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. You don't have an adequate answer Mm-mm. in terms of to explain all of the, the nuances of suffering and pain. But one thing that Christianity has to offer is the fact that God, the son took on flesh and dwelt in this world. And he suffers these things with us. Like he's, he's not just some distant deity sitting off in the heavens who cannot identify with what we're going through. You know, the John Mark McMillan has a song called the road, the rocks and the weeds. And he says, you know, don't have an answer for, for hurt knees and cancers but we have a savior, you know, I have a savior who suffers them with me, right? That's a, it's a good word. That's right. Last thought on Job 19 is the words are so incredible. If people are, if you're not familiar with the, like the old, old rendering of the book of common prayer in terms of the liturgy for the burial of a saint, they pick up on this Mm -hmm. Cranmer picked up on this from Job 19. And the language there is beautiful that one day, you know, I will stand you know, covered in my own skin, and I will behold the Lord, not with other, but with these same eyes, I shall see him, mm. right? What a promise. That's I right. mean, this, this is what awaits us, and may God give us faith. May he give us grace to trust these things, and this is what we need to, like, we just sit, we hold each other, we weep, and then when the time is appropriate, we point one another, the de- one another excuse me, to these things that this is what God has promised for those who love him mm. and Christ has secured it for us. That's and he right. told us, he told us it's finished and he's going to come back for us. What I've told you that I've gone to prepare a place for you if it wasn't so, and I'm going to come right. get you and bring you to be with me where I am. That's the hope. We may not have an explanation, but we definitely have a hope. Amen. Uh, yeah. And yeah, may God give us grace and faith and, uh, and trust that one day our faith will be turned to sight. Mm. And this is what we do. We press on and uh, await the Lord's return. So John and I are going to head over and record another podcast now. We do this each week. Uh, We record a podcast known as Semper Reformanda. Semper Reformanda is effectively a community of people um, who have partnered with Theocast to support the ministry. And there's an application, there's not an application, there's an app, (laughs) right? 
Application. Stupid. Apps just short for application. I understand, but nobody uses that language. People don't even know what I mean. It's application. What what is this dude talking about? So there's an app that you can get like on your computer or on your phone uh, where the members of the Simple Reformanda community can all interact together. It's like Facebook, but better. And there's all kinds of things that being an SR member affords you and being a part of that community is one getting access to this other podcast is another if you want more information about how you can become an sr member that you can find that on our website theocast.org so john and i are going to continue this conversation and who knows what else we might talk about over there uh, it's family time and we aim for that to be helpful and, and maybe slightly different than the content on the regular show we're grateful for each of you we hope you've been encouraged by this conversation and we'll talk with many of you over on SR. For those of you who are not, unfortunately not, going to be joining us there this week. We'll talk with you again on the regular platform next week. We trust. Grace and peace. Mm-hmm.